0: Mike. Well, there is a lot of evil in this world. There's a lot of dark. And yet God is still good. That's a statement that um, this world has been struggling with for a long time. Um, Speaking of college campuses, that's a, a debate you might hear on a college campus. You might hear the question well how can god be good if there's so much darkness in this world. The passage we're going to read through today um, I believe addresses that very ac- accurately and effectively. Uh, before we dive in this morning though I want to I want to thank you guys um, sincerely from the bottom of my heart and you'll understand more why as we go through. But sincerely I want to thank you guys for being a body of believers that responds to the word of God. It responds to the word of God. Me and Mike pour our hearts out into this. Um, we love it, and our heart's desire is that that effort wouldn't be in vain. And we're constantly reminded with the reality of the fact that we are a body of individuals with free will before a Savior, and that there's nothing me or Mike can manufacture. That's you personally in your own heart, your own walk with the Lord. Those are choices you have to make. And it's such a tremendous honor and joy, such a joy to fellowship with a body of believers that responds to the word of the Lord. We're going in Habakkuk today, finishing Habakkuk um, or Habakkuk. I don't know. I don't speak <laughs> Habakkuk. There's probably several more alternatives. But we're going to be finishing chapter three today. So if, uh, if you want to flip there. But in order to understand how Habakkuk is feeling in this poem, this song that he is, um, that we're finishing up today, in order to understand how he's feeling, it's important to remember two things specifically that we've been hearing throughout the portion of this book. And that is the position that Habakkuk was in at the time that he wrote this as well As a position the nation was in. These two things are very key to understand how Habakkuk is feeling right now. You see, his position was to follow the Lord and relay his word to the nation. Habakkuk was a good prophet. We have plenty of examples of those who claimed to follow the Lord in the Old Testament and didn't. Habakkuk is a good prophet. He hears from the Lord. He listens to the Lord. Absolutely, he struggles, but he was a good prophet. So he was following the Lord. More than that, though, he had a desire. It wasn't just that he was being obedient. He had a heart's desire for God's goodness to be what his nation was known for. He wanted to see his nation producing God's goodness. Me too. Me too. It's also important to remember what position the nation was in. And, and this, was that af- this was after the spiritual revival under King Josiah had ended. So he would have been under one of Josiah's evil successors. But before the Babylonians came in and conquered Jerusalem, that's in fact what this vision is all about. Meaning that the wicked depravity that Habakkuk wants to see ended is his own nation's sin. That's the depravity he wants to see ended. He wants to see God's chosen people choosing God. Because you see, God chose these people, but he did not force them to choose him back. And he wants to see God's chosen people choosing God back. Habakkuk being frustrated calls out and asks why God isn't doing anything about the wicked sin being pumped out by his own people and God answers him with a judgment that Habakkuk wasn't ready for. This is almost a be careful what you wish for moment, except that it's, this isn't going to happen because Habakkuk wished for it. It's not that simple. Habakkuk just wasn't quite ready for the truth that would be dropped in his lap that was dropped in his lap. The truth is that God was in fact going to allow a worse nation, a greater evil, if you will, to be the change that Habakkuk is asking for. Meaning that the bloodshed, idol worship, drunkenness, and general depravity that he hates so much is going to get a whole lot worse. And will, in fact, be acted out on them. His own people. Rather than being abusers and the abused, they would become strictly just the abused. So there will be a cleansing for sure, but it's going to be at the hands of Babylon. Habakkuk wanted the evil gone from the world, not a bigger evil to take control understandably he couldn't understand why a good god would allow such evil to succeed in the world the psalm that we are finishing up today is what he wrote after processing processing the vision that god gave him and the answers that god gave him this is written from his experience I want to recall to our minds the words that Habakkuk started this poem with in verse 2 of chapter 3. He said, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember Mercy. Habakkuk has heard the report about the Lord and he stands in awe of his deeds, an overwhelming awe. In other words, Habakkuk has studied scripture. He studied scripture. And he's seen God's power unleashed. He's seen mountains shake, he's seen sun and moon stand still, he's seen plague and pestilence. Through all of that, Habakkuk's faith is Has grown in proportion to his humility. As these waters, he hears these waters being stirred up, we heard last week. He's in awe of all this power. Habakkuk's faith, by the time this finishes, has grown in proportion to his humility. As we pick up in Habakkuk 3.16, we see that the very sound of God's awful power dissolves any strength that Habakkuk may have possessed. It's not the only time in scripture we hear that. I'm really excited to share later. Let's read the first verse together. Habakkuk 3.16. I heard and I trembled within my lips quivered at the sound rottenness entered my bones i trembled where i stood now i must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us Um, i just want to remind you this is a poem it's a psalm this is artistic Uh, actual rottenness did not enter habakkuk's bones god did not strike him with some sort of disease This is how he felt. He's describing artistically how he felt inside, how he became essentially as if he were dead almost. As he heard the sound. It's not just that he's weak. Rotten the bones is not the condition of a man lacking strength, but a man lacking life. It's as though his very soul is being sucked out of him. There's more to how he's feeling than just God's might, though. It's not just about God's might. This hit me really hard this week. As I put myself in Habakkuk's sandals, I don't wear sandals, but I presume that's what he was wearing. <laughs> As I put him in, put myself in his his shoes, if you will. It hit me really hard. These words. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Must quietly wait. Who is Habakkuk? He's a prophet. You guys, what does a prophet do? Prophesize. He speaks. He gives a warning to his nation. He gives a warning to the people he loves as he hears from the Lord. What are you not doing if you are quietly waiting? His whole heart's desire, everything he poured his life into, everything that meant anything to him has now been stripped away from to where it's been revealed to him. There's nothing he can do. Powerless and more than powerless, rot has entered his bones. It feels as though his very heart and soul has been sucked out of him. So I'm going to say it again. I am so thankful and so blessed to be in a body of believers that responds to the word of the Lord. May that never change among us. You can see Habakkuk's heart. He wants to see his people turn to the Lord. That's what his whole life has been dedicated to. It's not just his career, if you will. His whole life. This book has shown his, desire, his heart's desire for his people and for God's goodness. And he's just been told it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. There exists in life some wounds where the cure is so painful that many of us of us are tempted to just live with the rot. Find a way to live with or hide with the disease. Habakkuk isn't given a choice. God just shows him what's going to happen. By the way, if you're living with anything like that, it seems too heavy for you. You feel like you got to hide it. It's not fully in context. We're talking about the nation of Israel here, but since I brought it to mind, if there's anything weighing on you like that, and you know the right thing to do, but you just can't do it, I encourage you to pray and ask the Lord. Ask the Lord to just make you do it. He'll work on your heart. I speak from experience. Now, fortunately... As we're reading through this song, the funny thing about a song is he's poetically describing the process he went through, but he was able to write this after processing the big picture, all of it, the whole thing. And he seems to have found the right perspective somehow. Somehow he has come to the point where even in the midst of all of this uh, might and wrath from God and all of this depravity from his people and the reality that Babylon's coming and it's going to get so much worse, he seems to have found a right perspective by the end of this. And so you can actually feel the turn here coming. In his writing, as this is artistic, you can feel the poem begin to crescendo as he writes in verse 17. If you're not familiar with music, a crescendo is, is the, the music's getting more intense. It's not just volume, it's, it's also more intense. My piano um, instructor described it as um, as like a, a caffeine jolt almost, like it's, it's just rising up, it's getting, it's getting more intense, louder for sure, and more intense. She goes, all your emotions should be coming into this crescendo and you should be blasting. And this is what he's doing in verse 17, because he says, though, he starts off with the word, though, all these terrible little things are going to happen. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the field produces no food. Though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. How? How? Habakkuk? Habakkuk? Habi? How? How did you get there from being helpless, having to sit back, see all the crops, fruits, flocks disappear, all the pens, all the stalls empty? How? I think it's in the text and we can see how throughout the whole book. Nice. Sorry, Stephen Paul, it's off by about an inch now. <laughs> it's because he has reflected on God's word, and he has seen God's faithfulness to his people time and time again. His people, the very people that Habakkuk's heart is for, he has seen in scripture throughout history God's faithfulness to his people time and time again. God has made promises to David. David has made claims through the Psalms. Isaiah has prophesied. And even though Habakkuk doesn't know how, he has full faith that God will fulfill his promise. That he will preserve the Davidic line. We talked about last week. That the promised Messiah will come. God said that was going to happen. And Habakkuk looks back and he sees faithfulness after faithfulness after faithfulness in the faith, face of unfaithfulness from the people and unfaithfulness from the people and unfaithfulness from the people. He has seen that God preserves the line. Habakkuk trusts God even though he doesn't know the details. But here's the cool thing. We do. We do. You see, those stalls and those pens aren't going to stay empty for long. In fact, in about five to 600 years from Habakkuk's time, if he were alive somehow, Habakkuk could walk into one of those empty stables and see a baby. Next to that baby, a poor young woman who believed the word of God, who wanted, desired, just like Habakkuk, to produce God's goodness. And next to her, a young man who was faithful in the midst of some very difficult circumstances because he believed in the word of the Lord. And wanted, just like Habakkuk, to fulfill the will of God. Habakkuk didn't know any of that. He just heard from the Lord... Recognized his scripture as truth, sparking in him a faith that surpasses circumstances. This is what he concludes in verse 19. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. There's a little note in there for the choir director. Stringed instruments. Cool. I don't know if that's like somber or happy. I don't know what stringed instruments were used back then. But I imagine this is almost orchestrally huge. So <laughs> sort it feels like. Feet like those of a deer enables me to walk on mountain heights. Whose words are those? David's words this is a huge contrast from verse 16 verse 16 is Habakkuk's natural human reaction to God's might and it should be up on the board you can see the contrast Habakkuk's natural human reaction to God's might and then verse 19 reveals a faith in God that sends him running towards that very might And I tell you what, I've got a little boy who's about this tall and I'm about this tall. (laughs) I know what that looks like. From a father's heart, I know what that looks like. I know what it takes. It takes trust. My little boy is terrified of most of you. (laughs) It's not your fault. You're just big <laughs> in comparison that'd be like a like a thirty foot person. It's terrifying. But he runs to me. He has faith in me. He knows me because he's felt my love. Warren Wearsby reflecting on this whole passage says God doesn't always change our circumstances, but he can change us to meet the circumstances. That's where Habakkuk is right now. There's one more thing I'd like to point out from here that hit me really hard this week as well. The language in verse 16 is used in at least two other places in scripture that I could find. The language he uses in verse 16 where he says, I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. This completely helpless, weak state of somebody who... who who has been shown the awesome power and presence of God has been used in at least two other passages. One of them's kind of long. I'm going to read it for you. It's going to be on the screen. This is from Daniel chapter 10, starting in verse 7. He says, only I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see it, but a great terror fell on them and they ran and hid. I was left alone. Looking at this great vision, no strength was left in me. My face grew deathly pale and I was powerless. I heard the words he said, and when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Suddenly, a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and feet. He said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I am saying to you stand on your feet for I have now been sent to you after he said this to me I stood trembling don't be afraid Daniel he said to me for from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God your prayers were heard I have come because of your prayers but the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in these last days, for the vision refers to those days. While he was saying these words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and was speechless. Suddenly, one one with human likeness touched my lips. I opened my mouth and said to the one standing in front of me, My Lord, because of the vision, anguish overwhelms me, and I am powerless. How can someone like me, your servant, speak with someone like you, my Lord? Now I have no strength, and there is no breath in me. Then the one with a human ex- uh, appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, "Don't be afraid, you who are treasured by God. Peace to you. Be very strong." Daniel heard the Lord's words that he was going to see a great devastation to his people. Very similar. But he says, don't be afraid, you are treasured by God. The words given to him were true, and he believed them. The words were comforting, but required faith to believe in those words. And there's one more place where this language is used. And I actually want you to turn there with me. Revelation chapter 1. If you aren't familiar with your Bible, Revelation is the very final book of the Bible all the way in the back. We're going to read. I'm going to read. You're going to listen along. Revelation chapter 1 where John is being given a vision. And John is going to feel a whole lot like Habakkuk. And he's going to feel a whole lot like Daniel. His very heart and soul is going to be sapped from his body. As he is overwhelmed with the awe, the might of the Lord Almighty. Revelation 1. Verses 17 and 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. And the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in Hades. That's the promise. Prophets have been falling in their weakness, and their awe before the Lord as they hear this devastating news and the hope of a promise the promise that there will be reconciliation for the people, the Messiah will come, and John hears more words, falls to the ground, and then that very promise, no longer words or a promise, but a man with scars in his palms or wrists, physically lays his hand on John. And he says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. Yeah, that's awesome power. And that awesome power is there for John. I bring the worship team up. You guys, what I really struggle with with this passage is that I get how evil exists even though God is good. I understand that to a degree. As I believe that free will is required for real relationship to exist. You have a real relationship with a robot. Free will is required for real relationship to exist. So I can understand how evil exists in the midst of a world with a good God. What's hard for me is that Habakkuk is joyful even though his people are about to get wrecked. You see, at least twice in my life, I have sat down across from somebody who has taken themselves to a place in life where they've rejected God to the point where I looked across from them and I knew that there was no way forward for them except for at least some degree of destruction. They were going to have to be totally wrecked before they submitted to the Lord. And I have to sit there Nothing else I can say. One of these guys I knew since he was a toddler. And I had to look at them knowing there was nothing else I could say. That it was in God's hands now. That's what I struggle with. Here's the perspective we all need. Anybody who's feeling that to some degree. All have sinned. All deserve destruction. And yet, we will not be alone in heaven. God preserves his people. I've seen two go out for destruction, and right now I see about 12 kids that join me every week at youth group. I love to death. Who genuinely choose the Lord with their life, and we're going to heaven together, and we worship our God together. That is worth celebration. Habakkuk was able to see God's greatness, but not because he physically saw it, because he recognized it in Scripture. You recognize God's power, he became weak. When you recognize God's faithfulness, he runs like the deers in the hill. We need to be in our word, in his word, in the word. We need to be recognizing that. And we need to be building each other up around us and celebrating the fact we're going together. Lord, I thank you for this word. That you gave Habakkuk. How we can see we can see the own struggles that we have within ourselves played out in a big, grander picture than what we have to deal with on a day-to-day. You've given these these words to us to reveal your might and to reveal your faithfulness. I thank you that there are so many in this room that are faithful. What an honor and a privilege to be here. What a joy it is to walk through these doors. Only because of the work you've done in the lives in this room. We do give you all the glory, all the honor. We recognize it's all your power. And Lord, even though for us it's looking back, we step back into their shoes and we look forward to you coming to this earth to be born in a manger, We look to you and we celebrate you this season because you're so, so good. You're so worthy.